If you would please be turning to the to Acts chapter eight. I'll be reading Acts chapter eight, starting in verse twenty-six. I'll be reading from the New King Trans, New King James translation. Starting in verse twenty-six. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in scriptures where he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, he opened not his mouth. In his, humili- in his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generations, for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of, someone, of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and, and he baptized him. It's great to be here and uh, be able to worship God today. It's a bit of a dreary day outside, but that's okay. We have the privilege of being able to assemble here, and so we're so thankful for that. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for being here and for worshiping with us. Give us an opportunity, please, to get to shake your hand and to know you a little better. And um, again, it may be that there's some way in which we can help you or serve you, or maybe there are some questions that we can answer about the Bible or maybe about the congregation here. And we would love so much to be able to answer those questions or to help you in whatever way that we can. So please... Let us know before you leave, and uh, we would enjoy and appreciate the privilege of being able to serve you. I hope you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 8. Appreciate Tom for reading that very lengthy section of Scripture for us, but I thought that it was important to have the entire context uh, read in our hearing this morning so that it can set the stage for the study that we're going to have for the next few minutes The question that the Ethiopian eunuch asked, a very important question, what hinders me from being baptized? This account of the Ethiopian eunuch is one of the most known conversion accounts in the book of Acts. 
I guess, and it's very straightforward. A man who, of Ethiopia, traveling home, he's been in Jerusalem worshiping, and he's reading from his Bible. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53, prophecy about the Messiah, the suffering servant of God. And the Spirit tells Philip to join himself to the chariot. And so he does, and he asks the man, the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, how can I unless someone guides me or helps me? And so the Bible says that Philip opened his mouth and from that scripture began preaching to him Jesus. The sermon is not recorded for us, but we do have an idea about what he talked about because Verse number 37 says, or verse 36 rather, says that when they came upon some water, Philip asked the question, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And the answer, if you believe with all your heart, then you may. And so he was. Philip commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Again, that account is very straightforward, and yet, unfortunately, there's a great deal of question and confusion about one point, and that's baptism. People ask questions about baptism all the time, and if you were to survey the religious world about the subject of baptism to find out what folks think or teach or believe, you're going to find a great deal of differing ideas about what baptism really is all about. What is it? Is it important? How should it be administered? When should it be administered? For what purpose or reason? These are some questions that we want to consider this morning. We simply want to talk today about the three P's of baptism, if you will. The person, the process, and the purpose. Let's talk first about the person of baptism. When we're talking about the person of baptism, all we're asking is, who is ready to be baptized? Who is a candidate for baptism? That's really the question. And I want you to notice with me first from our context in Acts chapter 8 this morning in verse number 37 that when the eunuch asked Philip about baptism, his answer was this. If you believe with all your heart, then you may. You see, when we look at the account of the Ethiopian eunuch's conversion, We learn some things about baptism, but we also have to realize that when we study God's word, we have to take it for what it says as a whole. In other words, the account of the Ethiopian unit gives us some points about baptism, but then there are other passages and other conversion accounts in the book of Acts and in the New Testament that give us even more information about baptism So we want to take all of the information and see the complete picture that it paints. The first thing that we need to recognize about the person of baptism is that a person who is ready to be baptized is an accountable person who is convicted of their sin. The Bible says in Romans 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. So all people sin, and when people sin, we fall under the condemnation of sin, which the Bible defines as death. In another passage, Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, the Bible will say, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God. So everybody sins, and when people sin, we fall under the condemnation of sin, which is death, which is separation from God. 
But now listen to 1 John 3 and verse 4. In 1 John 3, 4, the Bible tells us that sin is a transgression of the law of God. So when I put all of these passages together, there are three things that are implied. And here's number one. If sin is a transgression of the law, then a person who is ready to be baptized must first of all be old enough to have transgressed the law. In other words, it's not appropriate for a young child or for a baby to be baptized for a number of reasons, but one of those is because they have to be old enough to transgress the law of God. And if a person's old enough to transgress the law of God, number two, that implies that they have to be aware of the transgression. We're going to be looking a lot this morning in Acts 2, and so I would encourage you maybe to put a bookmarker there. But in Acts 2 and verse number 37, it's an important passage because there's a question that's asked. A gospel sermon has been preached, and the Bible says that when they heard this, talking about the preaching of the gospel, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What we learn from that passage is that that group of people that heard the gospel preached, that they were old enough to have transgressed God's law, they were old enough to be aware of or understand that they had transgressed God's law, And then number three, they were convicted. And when we talk about convicted, when we talk about an accountable person who is convicted of their sin, we're simply talking about someone who knows that they have sinned, who understands the reality of that sin, which is they are lost and they have a desire to do something about it. That's what's Uh, meant by that question. Men and brethren, what shall we do? We know we've sinned. We know we stand guilty. We know we stand condemned. So what do we need to do in order to rectify this sin problem that we have? Well, God has a plan. And God's plan, we can see it before us on the screen, is composed of a number of different things. And the first one of them is hearing the word of God. The Bible tells us in excuse me, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14, in fact, it's a question that's asked. We are told that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved in Romans chapter 10 and uh, verse number 13. But then the question is asked in verse number 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And then later in the same chapter, in Romans 10, verse 17, the Apostle Paul will say that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Remember our passage in Acts 2, 37? And when they heard this, they were, how were they pricked in their hearts? They were pricked in their hearts because they heard the gospel proclaimed. And it is the hearing of the gospel, the hearing of the word of God that pricks the hearts and that develops faith within a person. And so the Bible says that the first thing that has to happen is that we have to hear the word of God proclaimed because it convicts us of our sins and it produces faith within us according to Romans 10 and verse 17. But don't miss this point. Look at Acts 2.41. In Acts 2.41... After baptism takes place in verse number 38, listen to what the Bible tells us. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Notice the description of reception. 
Now, when we talk about a person hearing the word of God and being baptized, we're not talking about someone that hears it and says, well, I don't really believe it and I don't like it, but my wife's going to be really mad at me if I don't do what it says, so I'll do it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who the Bible says gladly receive the word of God. That means that there was some, there was some joy here. That there's some relief. Remember, these are folks who are convicted of sin and they know that they're lost and they want to be saved. And the message of God's word says, here's what you have to do in order to be saved. And gladly receiving the word means that with joy and with thanksgiving, we hear it and we're ready to apply it. Romans 6, 17 says, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. James 1 and verse 21 says that we are to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. So a person who is ready to be baptized is a person who has heard and gladly received the word of God. They realize that they're lost and they want to be saved. And so the proclamation of the gospel says, here's what God wants, uh, here's what God says has to be done for salvation. And so the person is glad to hear it. And then number two, they believe. Remember what Acts 8 verse 37 says? When the eunuch asked, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you what? If you believe with all your heart, then you may. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 24, if you believe not that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Mark 16 and verse 16 connects belief with baptism and says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believes not shall be condemned. And Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. Let me challenge you sometime in your personal Bible study. Read through the book of Acts and notice in all of the conversion accounts in the book of Acts, notice how belief is either implied or stated. Acts 2.37, we've talked about it already. When they heard these things, they were pricked in their hearts and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Let me ask you a question. If they hadn't believed what they had heard, why would they have asked, what do we need to do about it? Acts chapter 8 and verse number 12, the Bible says that those of Samaria, when they believed Philip's preaching of the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 9 in verse 6, as Jesus appears to Paul, whose name was Saul at the time, on the road to Damascus, Saul says, Lord, what will you have me to do? If he hadn't believed what he was hearing or seeing, why would he have asked? Acts 16 verse 31, the Philippian jailer, it was told to him by Paul and Silas that um, if, uh, excuse me, the Bible says that his entire household that night, that they believed and that they were baptized and so they were saved. So what does God tell me that I need to do? If I'm going to be baptized, if I'm going to be saved, I need to hear the word of God. That's number one. I need to believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. That's number two. But listen, James 2.17 says that faith alone, that it's dead. It's more than just believing. The Bible also says that repentance is necessary. Look at Acts 2 and verse 38. We've looked at verse 37 several times already, and the answer to their question is found in verse 38, where the Bible says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin. Acts 17 and verse 30, the Bible says that God has commanded men everywhere to repent, and that he has appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness by that one whom he's ordained. Acts 17, verse number 31, but what then is repentance? 
Would you look with me in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for a moment? And I want you to notice with me what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 beginning in verse 9. But before we read it, I want you to think about this. The definition of repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Now watch in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 through 11 how these folks have their minds changed which produce a change in their action or in their way of living. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now look, go through the list in verse 9 and 10. Look at all of the things that Paul identifies by inspiration of the Spirit. Notice it in the pages of your Bible. And then notice in verse number 11, Paul says, such what? Such were some of you. That means that they stopped. That means that they changed. That means that they were doing those things, but they're no longer doing them. That's the biblical definition of repentance. That's a change of mind that leads to a change of action or lifestyle. They were these things, but they're not any longer. The Bible says that if we're going to be New Testament Christians, then repentance, it's non-negotiable. Hear, believe, repent. Next, the Bible tells us that confession has to happen. You remember Acts 8 and verse 37 again? The eunuch said, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, then you may. And what's, the eun- what's his answer? He says, I do. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10 says that confession is made unto salvation. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12 and 13 calls the confession the good confession. But listen, this is an important point. When the Bible talks about confession... The Bible does not mean that a person has to walk down one of these aisles and stand before an entire assembly of people and confess an entire catalog of their sins. That's not what confession is. Confession is a public pronouncement of our belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. A person who is convicted of their sin, an accountable person who is convicted of their sin, who knows that they're lost and who has a desire to make it right, to be saved, to be right in the sight of God. They've heard the word of God. They believe in what it says. They're willing to repent of their sins. They come forward and they confess, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then they're ready to be baptized. The person of baptism. But what about the process of baptism? You know, if you were to poll a number of people again throughout the religious world and ask them about the process of baptism, you'd receive a number of different answers. Some would say, well, baptism is appropriate to be done by sprinkling water on the person's head. Or someone might say, well, we're not going to sprinkle water, but we're going to pour water. Or some would say, it's it's by immersion. Or some would say, well, it really doesn't matter. Just pick one. But the real question is, what does the Bible say? Let's look together again at Acts chapter 8 and notice how the Bible answers the question for us in Acts 8 verse 36 and following. Now as you're turning there, be mindful of the fact that when we talk about baptism, the word itself, the word baptism, if you were to look up the definition of the word, it literally just means immersion or a submersion or a plunging into something. In this case, it's water. 
Now notice how the Bible will come out and will explain by an account of an event and by specific statement that baptism, it's a burial in water. First of all, notice the Ethiopian eunuch. The Bible says in verse number 37 that Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so verse 38 says that Philip commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Can I ask you a question? If baptism was appropriate to be administered by sprinkling or pouring, then why would Philip have needed to go down into the water? the water with the eunuch? The answer is that he wouldn't have. But look closer. Look at Romans chapter 6 for a moment and notice what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. It's an entire chapter where Paul deals with baptism and with the results of it and listen to what he says in Romans 6 verse 4. Paul says this, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Notice what Paul describes, or how he describes baptism in the passage. He says we are buried with him through baptism. We find this again in Colossians 2 and verse number 12. We are buried with him through baptism, Paul says, wherein you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Now, how many folks have in this assembly ever gone to a, a, a graveyard a graveside service, and after the graveside service was over, the, uh, the, uh, the crew, if you will, the work crew of the cemetery, they come by to the casket and they take a handful of dirt and they sprinkle it over the top of the casket and then everyone walks away because they say the casket has been buried. Nobody, nobody does that. Everyone understands when it comes to burying a casket or burying a pet in the backyard that when we're burying, what we're doing is we are completely submerging the thing inside. That's what what a burial is. That's how the Bible describes baptism. It's a burial. It is a complete immersion or a submersion in water. That's the process. Not a sprinkling, not a pouring, but a burial. But now, here's the third question, and maybe one of the most important. Why does all of this matter anyway? What's the purpose of baptism? Why is it that when we read these conversion accounts in the New Testament, that we see folks who are baptized, and they're not baptized a week or a month later, they're baptized immediately? What's the purpose of the urgency? Why baptism? Let's start in the book of of Colossians and look at Colossians 2 and verse 12. Would you look at Colossians 2, 12 with me for a moment? And I want us to actually notice not just verse number 12, but I want us to notice the context of the passage, Colossians 2. And let's start in verse number 11 and read through verse 13. In Colossians 2, beginning in verse number 11, listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and in the earth's uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses." Now, I want you to notice with me in verse number 11, first of all, that the Bible is using a word picture. It's talking about circumcision, and it's talking about, by circumcision, putting off the body of the sins by the circumcision of Christ. 
Now, when he talks about putting off the body of sins, it's sort of the picture of taking off dirty clothes and throwing them away and walking away from them. But he's, just, he's using that picture in, in reference to our body, to, to living in sin. And he says when we're baptized, we like dirty clothes, we take off that old sinful body and we throw it away and we, we walk away from it. But how does that happen? He says it's by the circumcision of Christ. Well, what is the circumcision of Christ? Well, he tells us in verse number 12. It's baptism. Notice he defines it as a burial. We're buried with him in baptism. And then he tells us that we are raised with him through the faith of the working of God. Now think for just a moment about this phrase or this idea of faith, of the working of God. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 verse 17. And the Bible also tells us that faith includes knowledge. You can't have faith in something you don't know anything about. So the Bible tells us in Colossians 2.12 that when we're baptized, that God is working in baptism and that not only can we, but we must have faith, which means we must have a knowledge of what exactly it is that God does when we're baptized. So what is it that God does? There are two things. First of all, our sins are washed away with the blood of Christ. Baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, according to Acts 2 and verse number 38. And uh, in Acts 22 and verse 16, Paul was asked, Why are you, what are you waiting for? Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When we go down into the water of baptism and when we arise up, the Bible says we arise to walk in newness of life, Romans 6 verse 4. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are a new creation, that all things are new, and that all of the old is passed away, it's gone. It's taking off the old body of the sins of the flesh, Colossians 2 and verse number 11. When we are baptized in water, we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins are washed away. But second, and this is an important point, shouldn't be missed, we are added to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. In this passage, we read something else about baptism. Listen to what Paul writes. Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27. He says, For as, excuse me, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as were baptized, notice this, into Christ have put on Christ. How are we added into Christ according to Galatians 3 verse 26 and 27? It happens in baptism. Now in John chapter 3 verses 3 to 5, a ruler by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he asked him about what he needed to do in order to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said that in order to inherit eternal life, in order to enter into the kingdom of God, a man must be born of water and of the spirit. He's talking about baptism. He's talking about the fact that the word of God, that the spirit has inspired, that when we hear that word, it pricks our hearts and it convicts us of our sin and it builds a faith within us and it pushes us to the point of Acts 2 verse 37 where we're ready to ask, what do I need to do? How can I be right with God? And then we believe and we repent and we confess and we're immersed in water, baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And notice Acts 2 and verse 47. The Bible says in that passage that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What's the purpose of baptism? The purpose of baptism 
is for my sins to be washed away that God may add me to the body of Jesus Christ, which is the church of Christ. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 at verse 23 that Jesus Christ, he's the savior of the body. So if I want to be saved, if I want to be able to, to live with my God in heaven for eternity, the only way that that's possible is if I am a member of the body or the church of Jesus Christ. And the only way that I can become a member of the body or the church of Jesus Christ is to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. So that my sins can be washed away and so that God can add me to the church. That's the purpose of baptism. One final passage, and the lesson is yours. Would you look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3 for a moment? We have this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 21, that says something very important about baptism. Listen to what the Bible says about baptism in this passage. Now, maybe someone looks at some of these passages about baptism, and someone says, well, I'm a little bit on the fence here. I'm not really sure. I'm still not sure if baptism is necessary for salvation. I just don't know what to think. Listen to 1 Peter 3.21. The Bible says... There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're not taking a bath to remove dirt from our skin, but rather in baptism, again, our sins are washed away. It's the circumcision of Christ, Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12. We, our sins are washed away and we are added to the body of Jesus Christ. And what does Peter say about all of that? Peter says, baptism now saves us. Friends, it's not possible for the Bible to be any more clear than what it is on the subject of baptism, especially in a passage like 1 Peter 3.21 where it explicitly says baptism saves. So the only real question left to ask this morning is, have I been baptized for the forgiveness of my sins that I might be added to the body of Jesus Christ? Have you this morning? Are you a New Testament Christian? You've heard the word of God. Do you believe what it says? Do you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to repent of your sins and confess your faith and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? If you're ready to make that step, we stand ready and willing to help you in doing it. Why not become a Christian today? Why not become a member of the church of Christ Jesus by submitting to the gospel's plan of salvation and being immersed in water? Why not now as together we stand and sing the invitation song?